Let's listen for God's word to us this morning. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent his, their disciples to him along with some Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You show deference to no one. You do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now Jesus was aware of their malice. So he said, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that is used for the tax. So they brought him a denarii, and he said to them, whose head and title is on this coin? And they answered, well, Caesar's. And he said to them, well, then give, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And give to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were all amazed, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We pray for the one who preaches, for his sins are many. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, may something of what I say and do, or at least something of what is seen and heard of me this morning, be not of me. May something of it be of you. May it be of your grace and your mercy, your promises, your love, the things you have done for us and the things you would have us do for you. The commitments you have made to us and the commitments you would have us make to you. In your holy name, we ask this. Amen. Money makes life easier but it doesn't make life better. When I was younger, one of my high school teachers suggested this distinction to me, and as I've grown older, I've remembered it, and I find it more and more to be true. Money makes life easier to manage, but it doesn't make life better. A little bit of money can buy you the basic necessities, like groceries or clothing or rent, for a roof over your head, and without it, you got to fight and you got to scrape by to survive. Life gets easier when you don't have to fight and scrape by. But money alone doesn't make life meaningful or purposeful. For that, you have to have something more. In much the same way, a lot of money can buy you the best meal that you have ever had at a five-star restaurant. It can buy you stylish clothes and a nice watch. It can buy you a big house with a big yard and a big, big table with lots of room. And these are things that will make you comfortable. It'll make your life more convenient. It may even make you feel proud of who you are and what you have accomplished, but they won't buy you friends to sit across the table from you at that five-star restaurant. Or family to live in that big, big house. They won't buy you a sense of satisfaction or contentment or allow you to escape from the hardship of life. And when the inevitable hardship of life firms its grip on your life, money 
will pay your medical bills when you get sick. Money will keep you from having to rush to find your next employment when you lose a job. Money will prevent you from filing into foreclosure or bankruptcy. It'll help you to rebuild when the storm blows away the roof over your head. It'll buy you the care that you need as you get older in age, but it won't ease the grief. It won't mend the damage that's been done to the world through your missteps. It won't credit you with forgiveness from others for God. It won't buy you hope beyond life. Having money makes life easier. This much is obvious. If this wasn't true, then we wouldn't spend so much time fretting over it all the time. We wouldn't get up and go to work to try to provide for ourselves and our families. We wouldn't watch the reports of our retirement funds going up and down and up and down with the market, with anxiety every evening. We wouldn't make the, the state of interest rates the point of conversation around a dinner table with our friends. We wouldn't have people coming and asking for financial assistance here at the church just to keep their lights on. For another month, having money makes life easier. We should take this fact very, very seriously as people who live in the world. But we often get this wrong. We often go wrong when we start to think that money is the thing that makes life better. That a life with money is automatically a more fulfilling one. That money and wealth and the managerial power that comes with it over your own life or even over the lives of those around you and over the world is the ends unto itself. And that that is the thing that makes life worth living. This is obviously false. That money makes life worth living. We know this. And yet all of us live our lives in a kingdom that constantly sells us on the idea that it is true. Buy this product. Earn your promotion. Chase the dream. And then you will find salvation. You will have built a life that matters. That's worth living. Money makes life easier, but it doesn't make it better. Historian Tom Holland says that these verses in the Gospel of Matthew that we read a moment ago where Jesus uses that, those, those famous lines, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar. Tom Holland says that these words, when Jesus speaks these words, uh, this is an incredible turning point in all of Western history. This is a moment that you can trace all of Western history back to because it transforms the way that all of us think about the world we live in and how we belong to the world that we lived in. But the shift that happens here is so subtle and the transformation has been so great that today, 2,000 years later, we don't even realize that it happened in these little words. So, so let, let's look at the story and set the stage a little bit, right? Jesus, Jesus here has some challengers. That's nothing new. But this time he has two challengers that have teamed up against him. So the first is the Pharisees. We know the Pharisees. You know the Pharisees. They're all throughout the New Testament. The Pharisees are the everyday religious people in Judea. And, and they've, they've never quite been able to figure out Jesus everywhere that Jesus goes. They've never quite been able to wrap their heads around what he is up to. And it's starting to get on their, their nerves. They're getting to a point now where they kind of want to trip him up and see what he, what he says. Um, 
So they bring along this other group of people we haven't heard of before. They're called the Herodians. Now, if you recognize the, the name Herod, right? He, Herod was the king of Judea, but he wasn't really the king of Judea. He was just a client king. He was kind of an arm of Caesar, who was the real ruler, the real king. And so the Herodians were people that were, had allegiance to King Herod. And because they had allegiance to King Herod, that meant they had allegiance to Rome. And they had aligned themselves with the Romans. The Herodians were the people that wanted the Romans to be in power over Judea. Now, these two groups typically don't have anything to do with each other, but in this case, they're teaming up because they're curious about what Jesus has to say. They come up to him and ask him a gotcha question. The gotcha question is this, oh, wise teacher, you're so faithful, they say, playing it up. You're, you're so faithful and sincere. You take the way of God so seriously. It's obvious, Jesus, it's obvious that you believe that our allegiance only belongs to God. At the same time, it's also really clear, Jesus, that you believe that all human beings should be treated fairly and that therefore we need laws that help us to be uh, fair to one another. So I got to ask you a question, Jesus. I is it lawful, is it faithful in the eyes of God to pay taxes to the Romans? All right, now let me explain this gotcha question. This is a gotcha question because no matter how Jesus answers, he's going to make somebody mad. If he says, well, yes, it's our duty to pay our taxes to this government, then he's telling the common people of Judea to roll over and just submit. Submit to their oppressive, violent occupiers. He tells them to cooperate with evil power-hungry fascist people. He's tacitly saying, you know what? Caesar is the rightful king who has the power to levy taxes. I recognize that Caesar is the rightful king. Even God recognizes that Caesar is the rightful king. So yes, you are obligated to give Caesar your money through taxes, even though the only thing that Caesar is going to do with it is make your life harder. This is sure to anger all of the common people if Jesus says this. He's going to turn a lot of people off. People who are already frustrated with the government, with their occupiers, they're ready for revolution. Then on the other hand, what happens if Jesus says the opposite? Well, if Jesus says, no, your only allegiance belongs to God, so you owe Caesar nothing, and since Caesar is an oppressor, you should give him nothing. You should keep your money. You should use it to resist and to fight back. If Jesus says this, then he is going to draw the ire of the Herodians that have come along. Because their main interest is keeping the Romans happy. And people withholding their taxes isn't going to make the Romans happy. Not with Jesus, not with those others withholding their taxes. So they've put Jesus in a corner here. The question being posed to him is, to which kingdom does your allegiance belong? Who has the authority over you? The authority to levy taxes, among other things, to set the law. Does your allegiance belong to God and the kingdom of heaven? 
that you talk about all the time, or does it belong to the mighty Roman Empire? And however he answers this question is going to have consequences. But Jesus is good in these situations. So his answer not only diffuses the situation, his answer reframes the whole thing, and that reframing changes everything for the rest of world history. He asks one of his challengers, he says, hey, give me a coin, like one of the coins that you would use to pay the taxes. So, so they give him a Roman denarii, which, which would have been about the size of a dime. And, and you know, if you look at a dime, it has Franklin Roosevelt's face on it. And in the same way that this dime has Franklin Roosevelt's face on it, this coin has the emperor's face on it. So, so Jesus holds it up and he says, it, Who's, whose face is that? Isn't, that? isn't that Caesar's face? on this coin. I've never met him, so I'm not sure what he looks like, but I think that's Caesar's face. But, and it seems to me that, that Caesar wants this pretty badly. Caesar wants this so badly, he put his face on it. Uh, if Caesar wants this so badly, you know what? Let him have it. Let him have it. Give him what he wants. I don't want it. God doesn't need it. That last line is what blew everybody's minds and changed everything. God doesn't need it. God doesn't need this money. What Tom Holland says is that in this moment, what what you actually have is the birth of secularism. Let me see if I can say more. He says, you know, up until this point, the idea was that there, there was really only one kind of kingdom. And a kingdom was a kingdom, a place that had a country. It was a country, and it had a king who was in charge with a court. And, and there, was, there were borders to this country, and, and, and the borders were enforced by armies. And, and then there were citizens, and the citizens would, you know, grow food and things for the country. And then they would pay whatever they earned and whatever they produced in taxes up to the king, who then would use it to fund the armies, who would then use it to enforce the borders and this was how a kingdom worked this is how you would uphold the the kingdom and the power uh, of the kingdom and the question uh, in Jesus's day was whose kingdom are we living in is the kingdom that we're living in uh, uh, one in which a foreign ruler is in charge of the armies and the borders or is it going to be God Is God our king? And is God the one who then is in charge of our borders and in charge of our armies and in charge of our money? But here, there begins this different suggestion. Jesus begins a different suggestion that changes everything. He says the kingdom of God is not a kingdom like that of Caesar. It's an entirely different kingdom altogether. Completely different from any other kingdom you've ever heard of or imagined. The the kingdom of God has no borders. The kingdom of God needs no armies. The kingdom of God doesn't even need money or taxes. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. 
It's not a kingdom that's interested in earthly power and managerial power. It's a kingdom of hearts and lives that have been changed forever by the infinite mercy and goodness and love of God. So to compare the kingdom of Caesar to the kingdom of God is not apples to apples. It's not even apples to oranges. It's apples to the infinite mercy and goodness and love of God. There is no comparison. And what's more, we all live in a world of apples, where secular powers like Caesar operate within the world. But the faithful thing to do in the kingdom of God is not to seek secular power or convenience or comfort or ease. It's to live our lives trusting in the infinite mercy and goodness and love of God. If Caesar wants your money, let him have what he wants, Jesus says. God does not need it. What God wants is your heart. Your heart. Your life. Okay, church, today's Commitment Sunday. We talk about giving our money to the church. Let me tell you something I'm not supposed to say on Commitment Sunday. God doesn't want your money. I'm going to say it again. God does not want your money. God does not need your money. What God wants is your heart. Now, don't get me wrong. Money makes life easier. But it doesn't make life better. And the same thing is true when it comes to church. Money makes church easier. Money makes church easier. It lets us hire talented staff people to lead and support our ministries. Money makes church easier because it gives us a space to gather and to grow by maintaining a beautiful building set aside to the glory of God. Money makes it easier for the church to show people the love and mercy of Jesus, show our neighbors the love and mercy of Jesus by giving us resources so when someone calls here asking us for help to keep their lights on, we can give it to them. Money makes it easier to help you grow deeper in your own sense of faith and conviction and trust and hope as you step out into this dark and confusing world and look for some way forward. Church is easier with money. Money makes church easier, but money does not make church better. Just because a church has money does not mean it is worth belonging to. In fact, quite often it's the exact opposite. Just because a church has money doesn't mean that church has purpose or meaning or conviction or faith or hope. For a church to be a church, God does not need money. The only thing that is required is commitment. The only thing required is faith. 
The only thing that is required are hearts and lives being transformed over and over again by the infinite mercy and goodness and love of God. And if we have that, dare I say, we will never need a dime. Let Roosevelt have what he wants. God doesn't need it. And so friends, in a moment, you're going to be given a chance to make a commitment, to bring forward a financial commitment to this church for the next year. I trust that you have been prayerful about it, and that you will give what you feel called to give. And whatever it is you write on that card, whatever it is you have written on that card, however little it is, or however great it is, whether it's more than last year, whether it's less than last year, Here's what I want to tell you. I want you to rest assured that whatever amount of money you write on that card is going to make it easier for this church to be the church. But it won't make this church better. Not by itself. In fact, God doesn't even need it to make this church better. God doesn't want it. The only thing God wants is your heart. And if we can give that to God, we will have all we ever need. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask this. Amen.